Okay, grab a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 18. That's our main text for today, Matthew 18. A couple months ago during spring break, you know, before the whole world shut down, my family and I took a little trip to New Mexico. And while we were on this trip, we decided that we would spend one day learning how to ski. Now, I've been snowboarding before. My wife has been skiing before. The kids never have. And it had been a long time since we'd been out on the mountain. So we decided uh, we would pay a ski instructor to teach us as a family how to ski. And the very first thing that we did that day, before we ever tried to go down the slope or tried to practice skiing, the guy that was teaching us how to ski wanted to work on our form. And one of the things that he told us was that this is going to feel very unnatural. I mean, you're going to want to lean one way, but you're supposed to lean the other way. The way that you bend your knees, the way that you stop. Like, all of that is not natural, and it will feel uncomfortable at first, so you got to work on it. So we worked on our form before we ever tried to go down the slopes. And once we worked on that a little bit, we hiked up, and we skied down. And right away, my son, who's four years old, uh, just completely abandon everything that uh, Steve, our ski instructor, had just taught us. And instead of bending his knees and kind of leaning forward and working on stopping, my son just leaned back and went as fast as he could. Thankfully, somebody was down there to stop him before he wound up in the creek. Well, my wife and my daughter, they did a good job. For me, though, there were several times throughout that day where I completely wiped out. And the reason that I would wipe out is because I would do the opposite of what Steve had taught me to do. Uh, I would do what felt natural, what felt comfortable, my natural instincts. And every time I did that, I wound up falling down or falling over or losing my balance. And today, one of the things that I want to talk about as I continue this series on people problems is I want to talk about conflict. And conflict is kind of like skiing. We're not naturally very good at it. In fact, the way we're supposed to handle conflict or the way we should handle conflict goes against what is natural and what is comfortable for us. Uh, conflict is inevitable. You know, in relationships, whether it's friendships, marriages, whatever, we're going to have conflict. I've mentioned that several weeks in a row now during this sermon series. It's not that conflict is bad. It's the way that we handle conflict that can create problems or chaos in our lives. So let me ask you this question. And you can just think to yourself, you don't have to look at the person sitting next to you in your living room or wherever you are, how do you handle conflict? What do you do to handle conflict? Now, think about this. How do most people normally handle conflict? What do we do? Well, in my opinion, and I could be wrong on this, but I think most people, the way that, they handle conflict, and I'm guilty of this too, is we, for one, we talk about the person that we're frustrated with or we have a problem with or we're in conflict with. We talk about them. Notice I didn't say we talk to them. We talk about them or we just avoid them. Or some of you who enjoy conflict, you go in attack mode. So we kind of do this fight or flight type thing. We either come on way too strong or we just completely avoid people and go talk about them. None of those are healthy ways on handling conflict. How I handle conflict in my life has been a growth area. I believe the Holy Spirit has been working on me and I'm slowly improving, but I've been a chronic conflict avoider throughout my life. 
So what does Jesus have to say about how we handle conflict and about people problems? We just spent a month going through the book of Genesis and there's plenty of family problems and people problems. But as followers of Jesus, what does Jesus have to say about it? So the text that we're going to look at today that should have already been read for you during the service, and I want to read it again, comes from Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to read verse 15 through 17, and I'm reading from a new revised standard version. So read along whatever version you're in, and maybe you'll notice some of the differences in how the English translations and the different ones choose to translate what Jesus says. Starting in verse 15. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. Verse 16. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If their member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church... Let such a one be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, first off, uh, I want to give you a little bit of context of what's going on in Matthew and what's going on in this chapter before we break down what Jesus just said. So in the Gospel of Matthew, there's five large teaching blocks. So you'll find five large sections of teachings. And if you have a, a Bible that has red letters when Jesus teaches, you'll find five large sections in Matthew of red letter teaching. This is the fourth of five large teaching blocks, chapter 18 is. And in chapter 18, if you were to read the whole chapter, Jesus talks a lot about sin. Sin is a big problem. Jesus says if you cause somebody else to stumble or to sin, it's better for you to drown in the sea. There's a lot of violent metaphors in this chapter also. So if you cause others to sin, that's bad. If you cause yourself to sin, That's bad. Cut your hand off, gouge your eye out, chop your foot off. It's better for you to do that than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And then at the end of chapter 18, uh, Jesus answers Peter's question about how, how many times should we forgive someone? Seven times? And then Jesus goes on to tell this parable known as the unmerciful servant, basically saying, when somebody sins against you, you need to forgive them with unlimited forgiveness. Okay, that's chapter 18. So sandwiched in between those teachings is what we just read, verses 15 through 17. And this has to do with what if somebody sins against you? So I'm going to go through this slowly for the next few minutes, starting in verse 15, where Jesus says, if somebody sins, a member of your church is what the NRSV says, or some translations may say a brother or sister, sins or sins against you, depending on the translation which I actually think there's a difference because if it's just, if they sin, then maybe what Jesus is saying is we have the responsibility as being a part of the same church family to go and to talk to that person. Well, another way of translating it is if they sin against you, which is a little different, but, and that's how we're going with the translation for the way we're focusing on this sermon is if somebody sins against you. Okay, now pause on that part. What does that mean? Well, I think what Jesus means by if somebody sins against you is that is a a serious hurt or pain that you've caused in somebody's life. And there's a variety of ways we we hurt people. 
But I don't think Jesus means that like if you disagree with somebody or you're just extra sensitive and you don't like the way somebody dresses or the way somebody talks. I don't think that that's what he means. That you have to go talk to them and confront them. This is if somebody sins against you, if somebody's hurt you, if somebody has caused you pain in your life, here's what you need to do. And this is where it gets really difficult. He says, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. That's step one in conflict resolution or trying to find some sort of, of peace between a person who has caused you problems, whether you've caused them problems or they called you caused you problems. Jesus says you have the responsibility to go talk to that person and show them their fault. So that's step one. And this takes courage. This is hard to do. This also takes prayer and humility. We don't go in trying to attack. We go in to try to find a peaceful resolution and reconciliation. And this goes against our natural instincts of fight or flight. Right? Um, why is this so hard to do? Why is it hard for us to just go talk to somebody one-on-one? Most of us never get past Jesus' first recommended step here of just going and talking to somebody. Now, what if we use this step as just kind of a baseline guide for how we handle relational problems in our life? I'm going to use this as an example, and I'm not opening the door for everybody to start doing this, but there's times when I preach a sermon and somebody may disagree with something I said or maybe you need some clarification on why I said something in a sermon. And from time to time, I've had people that may, let's say they email me. And usually if they email me, they say, I, I, I wanted to clarify what you said or, or I disagree with what you said. And when I respond back to them, I usually respond first of all by saying, thank you. Thank you for coming to me with this problem rather than talking about me to other people. Now, we may not always fully agree on what I said, or I may have to clarify what I said, whatever that may be. I'm just thankful that they came to me rather than to talk to other people about me. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody needs to start emailing me with all your problems with my sermons. The point is that if I expect for somebody to give me that courtesy, then I need to be willing to give somebody else the same courtesy. I need to be willing to talk to people if I feel like I have a problem with them or I need to clear something up. Now, what's important when we go talk to somebody is the words that we use. And not just the words that we use, but the tone of voice that we talk in um, and our body language. Like, all those things are really important. We're not trying to fight. We're trying to find a peaceful resolution. And then Jesus says at the end of verse 15, if they listen to you, you have won them over. Well, that sounds great. If they listen, if, if this works, if you talk to them one-on-one -on -one and they listen to you, you've won them over. Now, notice Jesus doesn't say you won the argument because it's possible to win the argument but lose your brother or sister in Christ. He's saying you've won them over, that you've come to some sort of peaceful resolution and, and you approach the situation with a spirit of meekness and humility and love and peace. Um, as I've already mentioned, in my own life, I've been a, a chronic conflict avoider. And I've been asking God to help me work on that. And just a few months ago, I had this situation, and I won't tell you with who or where it happened, but I was upset with somebody because of what I heard 
that they said about me, and I was upset with how they handled a particular situation. And the old me probably would have never said anything about it. And when I don't say anything to the person that I'm upset with about it, what I wind up doing usually is resenting that person or staying away from that person. And then just kind of sweeping it under the rug. But the new me, what I'm working on here is I decided, you know what, I'm going to go talk to this person. So I took a deep breath, spent some time praying about it to check my own motives, and I went and talked to this person that I was frustrated with. And guess what? It was about a 15-minute conversation. It went really well, and we were able to resolve the issue. And I'm really thankful that I went and talked to the person because otherwise it would have just led to more conflict. Trying to avoid the conflict usually leads to more. So Jesus says in verse 15, there's step one. If somebody has sinned against you, if they've wronged you, whatever it may be, just go talk to them one-on-one. It's a private issue. And if they listen to you, great, you've solved the problem. Well, verse 16, he says, here's step two. If they will not listen, take one or two others along. And and then he goes on to say, and so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. First of all, this language here is rooted in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures. You could look at Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15, and you'll see some of the language that Jesus is using, taking one or two others along, and now Jesus elaborates on that. So if they don't listen to you one-on-one, who do you take with you? Well, I don't think what Jesus means is you go out and build an entourage and then bring people with you who are just going to automatically agree with you. Now, we need to find one or two people who maybe can see it from an outside perspective and can come in with a, the attitude of being a mediator. And then we need to be prepared that if we bring this accusation and others are listening, that we may be in the wrong and it may be painful for us to hear what the one or two other people uh, have to say about the situation. So we don't go into it with just building a posse and we're going in to attack. No, we bring one or two others along so that they can be mediators. And then he says, if they don't listen to that, in verse 17, if they refuse to listen, the third step, tell it to the church. In the Gospel of Matthew, this is only the second time that Jesus has used this word, church. It's the Greek word, ekklesia. And the first time he uses it is in Matthew chapter 16, and now he uses it here. And the way that Jesus uses this here, it probably refers to a local assembly, a faith community. Now, the culture that the disciples grew grew up in and that Jesus grew up in was they would go to synagogue. So they were used to congregational life, and there's probably times in their life where they had dealt with congregational discipline or congregational conflict resolution. So Jesus says here, hey, bring it to the church. Take it to the whole church, and I don't really know what that would look like. You know, I'm guessing our congregations look a little different today. Maybe they're a little bit bigger And rarely do we see this happen. And one of the reasons why we never really see this happen is because we never even take step one to go actually talk to a person. And then Jesus goes on to say at the end of verse 17, if they refuse to listen to the church. So by now you've had a one-on-one conversation with them. And if that didn't work, you take one or two other mediators along. And if that doesn't work, you bring it to the church. And if they still won't even listen to the church, he says, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. What does that mean? That sounds very harsh. 
But in reality, if you've gone through all these steps to try to find reconciliation and some sort of resolution and they still won't listen, then they're making their own decision that they don't want to be a part of your faith community, of your church. And then another thing to keep in mind is when Jesus says, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector, we've got to think about how did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? Or some translations say Gentiles and tax collectors. How did Jesus treat them? Well, Jesus ate with them. Jesus was considered a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Jesus reached out to them. So I don't know if Jesus is saying you're done with them forever. Maybe there's a form of separation there, but Jesus still continued to reach out to those who were normally shunned. Jesus didn't stick his nose up at them. He just reached them maybe with a different approach. So this is what Jesus has to say about, you know, potentially handling conflict within the church. And this brings to mind a few questions. First of all, what if we followed what Jesus is teaching here? What if we followed his example? What would that look like in our own lives if we tried to actually put this into practice? And here's a few other thoughts that I have as we kind of dwell on this and what Jesus teaches here. One of those is, I think it's important to remember, there's no microwave solution. So if you've had a, an issue going on with somebody for several months or maybe even several years, it may, not, it may be more than one conversation. It may take several conversations to get to a place where you're healing the relationship. There's no microwave solution for a problem that's been stewing in the crock pot for years. So it may take time. That's one thing to keep into consideration. Another thing is, another question I have is, what if they don't go to church with you? So Jesus says it may get to the point where you have to involve the whole church. Well, what if it's a coworker or a friend or a neighbor uh, or a family member and they don't, they don't go to your church? Well, maybe we can at least use these steps that Jesus takes us along here as a guide. And we can at least follow steps one and two to go talk to the person. And if we need to, take a few other people with us if that doesn't work. The third question I have is, what about unreasonable people? In this book that I've mentioned and, and used for the sermon series, you can see it right here. It's called People Problems by Dr. Alan Godwin. And in this book, he says that there's a difference on how you handle conflict with reasonable people and with unreasonable people. See, reasonable people... They may be like you. Maybe they want to find some sort of resolution. But unreasonable people, they're a little different. Because unreasonable people, they're not concerned with reconciliation and finding a resolution. Unreasonable people, they're more concerned with winning an argument or being right. And maybe that's the type of person that Jesus is talking about if you have to wind up taking it to the church. And if you feel like, if, if I say the word unreasonable people and you've tried to reason with somebody and talk to them and it doesn't work, maybe you have some unreasonable people in your life. And I would recommend uh, following Jesus' advice and maybe even reading this book that I just showed you. And a fourth question that I think is really important when it comes to people problems and conflict resolution, if we follow what Jesus teaches here, we also have to ask ourselves, what can I control? What do I have control over? I, I can't control how other people act or react, but what I can control is how I act. 
I can control how the steps that I take in the situation. And beyond that, I can't control how other people react or respond. And a really helpful prayer for me, before I go into meetings or sometimes something that could be a hard conversation, a helpful prayer that I've been in the habit of praying is I just say, God, please show me and give me wisdom to know when to speak and when not to speak. If we get in the habit of praying that and trusting that God will give us that wisdom, that can go a long way, whether it's a one-on-one conversation or whatever we're involved in. God, give us the wisdom to know when to speak and when not to speak. So I'm very thankful that the way that Jesus handles us when we've sinned against God, the way that God has handled this is he doesn't abandon us. Instead, because we're all sinners and we've all sin and uh, sin against God, instead of abandoning, abandoning us, he became one of us through the incarnation of Christ. He came to us. He absorbed all of our people problems and allowed himself, sub- subjected himself to being hurt. And he took all that with him to the cross. And it's through the cross that Jesus, as his followers, invite us to live in the path of the cross. And Jesus also invites us to come to the cross to receive the salvation that he offers. So if there's anybody out there that's listening to this and and maybe you've never taken that step to be reconciled to God through Christ, then maybe you need to consider being baptized into Christ. And if that's the case, we want to keep reminding you, please reach out to us. Email us, call us. We can arrange that for you. Or if you need prayers or if you're really struggling with a relationship right now, whatever it may be, Just know that you're not alone and that you can reach out to us. And God bless you.